Good morning. Have you enjoyed this series? Uh, I have just gotten tons of feedback about this series. People have been very uh, blessed and encouraged that the church would talk about this subject of mental health, inner being, the invisible parts of who we are and how we function in those ways. And uh, so we, we've talked about it. We got to hear from Daniel Champer for a couple weeks. Last week you got to hear from Shreya. Uh, they did a great job, didn't they? Uh, I, I teased you a little bit and that's right, I teased you a little bit in those weeks ahead. We had rookies going to be preaching, and they knocked it out of the park. They did awesome. So very pleased with how that went. Uh, I want to be uh, wrapping that up today. And uh, boy, I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with what all, there's just so many ways you could go, so many things to talk about. We just scraped the surface. We barely scratched it. There's such a depth to the idea of who we are at a soul level in our emotions, in our minds, in our will, our spirit, the invisible parts of who we are. So to, I just found myself thinking, okay, how do we respond? How do we respond to uh, these circumstances? I, I covered a number of different things the first week when I kicked off the series, and I just want to remind us of some of those things this morning uh, before I move on. And, and we're just, well, why would we talk about something like this? Why does it matter? Well, you know, when we look at the evidence of mental health in the world around us, I particularly in the first message focused on suicide and the significant suicide rates we deal with here in Montana, reminding you that if Montana were a nation, it would be the second highest in the world in terms of suicide rates. So we kind of have to look at that as the church and go, something's wrong. And the church has often been on the forefront of serving the needs of people, and people are in need in this way, in dealing with their inner self and what's going on. And so we've got lots of good information. Uh, hopefully you were informed significantly by that. I want to read a passage. I touched on it a little bit in uh, my first message, but I want to read the whole story to you, Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus sharing uh, a story of the final judgment. And... Uh, it's a, it's a uh, significant story that he told, beginning in verse 31 of chapter 25. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep. From the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, 
as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. They will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, asking you to minister in power amongst us. Minister to our souls today, Lord. Lord, I thank you that we have so many friends and family here gathered today, a community around us to support us in our journey the church, your people, the congregation. Father, I pray that your word would sink into our hearts, Lord, and open our eyes as we sang this morning to see the reality of things and to get your heart in the middle of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot we can draw from this parable. It's an uncomfortable story. It's uncomfortable to consider that there's a reckoning coming. But one of the main components of this particular story obviously is towards the end when he says whatever you did for the least of these my brothers you did for me and it's so important in the heart of god that we help one another that we serve one another it, it becomes a fundamental part of our christianity that we serve the needs of our brothers and sisters that when people are suffering we step in to help them in whatever ways they are in need and in this particular case, we see that people are in need in their heart. They're in need of comfort. They're in need of compassion. They're in need of healing. They're in need of people that will stand with them in their journey and help them find their way. That's something God has called us to. Even when we consider all of the history of Christianity, as I've talked about in days gone by, the Christians have been on the forefront of the medical industry and the development of healthcare for people all throughout history. Sometimes we, you know, because we live in a certain time in a certain place, we only think about things in a certain way. But when we consider the whole, there's a lot to be learned and drawn from. And when, when Jesus sowed this into the heart of the church, right early on, it propelled people to serve one another. We read about it in the book of Acts, how much they laid down their belongings and their very lives on behalf of serving the people around them. It is in the heart of God that we serve one another. God cares about the whole of who we are. He cares about our physical needs. He cares about our soul needs. He cares about our spiritual needs. And He's made a way for us. We are a complex being. We're complex, designed in the image of God and corrupted by sin. Something that I covered early on. And then we see from what Daniel talked about, that we're hurt, we're wounded through relationships, and we heal through relationships. 
So many of the wounds that are dealt to us at our, in our soul, we either do to ourselves or others have done to us. If we never interacted with another human being, who knows what it would be like. But we hurt each other. Because we're corrupted by sin, because we're selfish, because we don't always do the right thing, we come out of relationships or navigate relationships in a wounded way. Even our relationship with God was corrupted by sin. There was a separation that took place, and the whole of the Scripture is the history of salvation, the story of God reconciling Himself and mankind. When we look at that theme, we also see that we are meant to reconcile with God Himself and with one another. And in the ways that we relate to one another, in those wounds, we're meant to face those things and see them reconciled between us if we can, in whatever ways we can. And also that we pay it forward. That the things that we've learned about how we've been hurt or how we've struggled in life, we also then can turn around and reach out to others to teach, to comfort, to have compassion, to have empathy, because we ourselves have also suffered. And we can stand with others in compassion. We are body, soul, and spirit. I'm just recapping a few of the things I talked about a few weeks ago. We are body, soul, and spirit, and God cares about the whole of who we are. And life is about the whole of who we are. It's not just what we see in the natural, it's also what's going on in the invisible. In fact, that which is natural will pass away. That which is invisible will continue. That which is visible comes from the invisible. Guard your heart. It's a wellspring of life. From inside of us, whatever's going on inside of us manifests itself in our reality. If we're wounded, if we're hurting, that will come out on the surface in the way we treat one another, in the way we think about life. It's really important that we take the time to reflect of, who am I on the inside? What, is it, what condition is my inner being in? Where do I need God to, to touch and heal and bring resolve inside of me? Strong evidence that we're messed up. A lot of fruit in the world that shows that we need some transformation in our soul. And that's part of the business that God is about. He's about healing and restoring. Bringing about reconciliation and resolve on our inner issues. We're some of the best people in the world. Best equipped to help people that are struggling at the soul level. We have, this, we have an understanding because of the scripture about the invisible nature of man. We have a healing and powerful God in our, that, at, at, that serves us and helps us in our journey. We have people around us that have been wired into them by their Creator to be compassionate for one another. And the stories that Jesus taught us lead us to be people that help. What will be our response to the mental health situation that we see in our community? And with one another. I have a few thoughts for you today about that. You know, how do we respond? <clears throat> First thing I want to talk about is balance. A balanced response. I think that when we start to, I, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm, I'm confident many of us, and, and I did have a lot of conversations where, you know, um, we start talking about some this issue and tensions rise. There's tensions that start to develop amongst us. Tensions that we feel about this issue because, you know, we, we only get to talk about it so much and we go home on Sunday morning and we're like, okay, 
okay, what about this and what about that? And so how do we deal with this and how do we deal with that? And so these tensions start to rise. And sometimes when tensions rise, we react extremely. And I think perhaps you felt tension because you're struggling. You're hurting on the inside and you're not coping well with it. Perhaps you were reminded of things that you've experienced in your life and it's been hard talking about this. We're coming into the holiday season. That's often a difficult time for people. Why? They remember family. They remember history. And it stirs up those deep and painful things that have hurt us over the years. Perhaps you feel tension because of those things. Perhaps you feel tension because you don't understand how a loving God allows mankind to suffer. There's a tension. Something we're always wrestling with. We know that God loves us, and yet we see so much difficulty in the world. And Of course, our solution lies within God's Word. So there's a tension that rises in us. What about hope? Maybe it was kind of a depressing series for you. <laughs> Where's the hope in all this? We have a hope. Where's the hope in all this? Where's faith in this? What role does faith play in this inner being situation? So perhaps you were feeling tensions, I was, as we've talked through this issue. So we need to continue to wrestle through, what is God's heart for us? And I think the first thing we need to consider is reacting in a balanced way, taking action in a balanced way. Just like we do in our physical health, we take in a balanced approach. Well, some of you are responsible and do that. Not all of us do. We do things like diet and exercise. We do all kinds of things. We go to the doctor. We What do we do? We do all kinds of things. A, a well-rounded approach to our physical health. We need to do the same thing in our soul health. We take a balanced approach. We have friendships that are helpful. We have professionals that are helpful. We have spiritual leaders that are helpful. We have prayer. We have the scripture. We have information. We need to look at the whole picture and take a holistic approach to responding to the difficulties that we deal with in our inner being. We have to approach it from a biblical foundation. Uh, next year, I really have it in my heart to do a pretty in-depth look at, at the Scripture itself, the canon of the Scripture, how the Scripture came together, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, those kind of doctrinal things. Why? Because this isn't just a book. It isn't just a textbook. It isn't just a history. It's the Word of God as recorded. And the Word of God is alive and it's active. It's powerful. It's creative. It's healing and life-giving. And when we take our time to learn about anything in life, we look to the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? What is God's heart for His people? What does He teach us? How do we learn from that? We have to have a biblical foundation. I think one of the reasons, another reason we, uh, you know, we don't re react in a balanced way to a situation like this or a subject like this is we don't like talking about our weakness. How many of you like to confess your sins to one another? That's weird. That would be really weird. In our, in our flesh, we do not want to tell other people that we've made mistakes. The scripture is very clear. Confess your sins to each other. Confess what you're struggling with. And there's healing that comes when we do that. 
But we don't want to do that because we don't want to talk about our weaknesses. And in the same way, we don't always want to talk about what's wrong with us. Most people don't. They don't want to acknowledge that I have an issue and I need to talk to somebody about it. Yes, a few people talk plenty about their issues, but for the most part, people suppress and they don't want to talk about their weaknesses. It's human nature. We don't want to admit we're weak. We don't want to confess our sin. We're self-protective. We don't want to be threatened. We don't want to be judged. We want people to have opinions about us. And so we don't want to talk about it. But a balance, of, and we need to have balance in that. Yes, we need to talk to people we trust. We don't want to hide it. Yes, we don't want to be radical oversharers, spreading our, our junk all over everybody. But we've got to have a balanced approach to it. We need to be balanced because we're suspicious of the invisible. If I can't see it, I'm suspicious about it. We fear what we don't know. There's a thin line between the soul realm and the spirit realm. We talked about that. There's a thin, fuzzy line between the psychological and the spiritual. We can't see either one of them, and so we don't know always how to navigate it. It makes it difficult. We've got to approach it with a balance. It is there. It is real. We have to face it. And we want to deal with it. What about our faith versus our circumstances? <laughs> our concept of eternal perfection does not line up with the idea of temporary suffering. We look at the Scripture and we look at the perfection of God and the perfection of mankind before sin entered the world and that God is leading us towards redemption, a reconciled situation with Him, a place where there will be no more tears, the Scripture talks about, in eternity. That doesn't really line up with the suffering that we deal with today. And so we have adverse reactions to that. I think of... Uh, I think of things often in terms of a set of scales or a spectrum. Often looking at the extremes. What are the extremes of the way we deal with different things? How do we get out of balance on a set of scales? Getting too far on one end or another. What is the truth in the middle of things? And I think about it when it comes to this. Or One of the things I've been thinking about pretty consistently is you know, our response when it comes to faith and suffering. You know, listening to Sheree's story and all the times I've prayed for Sheree, all the times people have prayed for her and kind of going, oh, that suffering is painful. How do we deal with this reality of believing in a healing God and the tension there? And I think, well, we respond often and the, the radical responses are um, on one end you've got kind of this fatalistic attitude where it's like, hey, whatever happens is going to happen and it doesn't matter what I do about it doesn't matter what I pray. God's not really that involved in it. It just is what it is, and there's nothing I can do about it. Kind of a hopeless perspective we came into. Doesn't matter what I pray. Doesn't matter how I act. Doesn't matter who I talk to. I'm just, I'm, I've made up my mind that it's fate. It's going to be what it's going to be. And then we have another extreme reaction where it's all up to me. If I pray harder... If I have more faith, if it just, it's all up to me, that's a humanistic kind of perspective. I'm God. I can manipulate God into doing what I think He should do. And if He doesn't do it, it's my fault. If He doesn't respond to my prayers, it's totally my fault, which is wrong. 
So you have these two extremes, and we find ourselves navigating this spectrum. God, how do we respond in the middle of suffering? Where do we see healing in this? Where do we see faith in all of this? Where is hope? And so we have to wrestle with that tension about what we believe. We go to the Scripture. We learn about what God's heart for people is. I think in one way, one end of the spectrum, that fatalistic kind of thinking, it's self-excusing. I have no responsibility in this. Then the other end of the spectrum is self-dependent. It's all up to me. It's all up to my faith. It's all up to what I can do. But I think we need a balanced understanding. The scripture is very balanced. I was reminded of the story when David lost his son. Well, two of his sons. First was a baby boy, a baby child. That was the, the product of his affair with Bathsheba. And God said, I'm taking the child. And David pleaded with God. He laid on the floor. He fasted. He wouldn't eat. They couldn't get him off the floor. This guy is in duress for this child. And God takes the child anyway. It's just like, ugh. And when we talk about the condition of our soul and our own mental health, we see example after example after example in the Scriptures. Elijah sat under the broom tree and asked God to kill him. He had just won the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament a significant victory over the prophets of Baal. He had called down fire from heaven to consume a soaking wet offering. You should read the story in 1 Kings. Wow, he must have been flying high, huh? Huge victory for God. He was the man. And yet he fled in fear from Jezebel and he sat under that tree and he wished for his own death. God's people struggle. They have issues. But in the situation of David and, and his, his son, well, actually David's older son, Absalom, rebelled against him during his reign and ultimately was killed in the rebellion. His son was. David had to flee Jerusalem. He left the throne. Absolutely, actually, part of the consequences of his situation with Bathsheba was that Absalom took all of his concubines in broad daylight. But Absalom eventually was killed and David returned to the throne. But when David got the news that his son Absalom was killed, he went into the upper room in the gate area there and, and uh, he wept and he said, oh, if it were me and not you. He wanted to die. He wanted to, even though his son was rebelling against him and killing his men and everything else. People struggle. We have to have a balanced response and see that there's room for both. There are extremes at times. God has set things into motion. We go with what is on His heart. But we're always bringing our lives before Him, asking for healing, asking for the miraculous, asking for Him to touch our lives and bring healing and His power into our situation. We believe in healing. We believe that God moves in miracles. But if we get too far on one end of the spectrum with those things, we get into what we would call a prosperity gospel or doctrine or a name it, claim it. Perhaps you've heard of that. I claim whatever I want in Jesus' name. And if I just pray hard enough and have enough faith, whatever I want is going to happen. So I claim that blue Ford brand new pickup in Jesus' name. People do this. This is very real. It happens in the Christian community. And it's, it's I can't go down that rabbit trail today, but I, it's very corruptive of our understanding of who God is. 
And we often adopt the same thinking when it comes to our suffering. That if I'm suffering, I must not have enough faith. That if something's going wrong in my life, God must not have favor on me. I must not be good enough because I'm suffering. Or that faith is something we can conjure up. The scripture, I, we have to be careful about what we think about that, about faith. What is the place of faith in all this? Abraham is known as the father of faith. Why, what, why was that? God spoke something to Abraham, and Abraham believed it. Abraham had the assuredness from God that something was going to happen, and so he could have faith, and he becomes known as the father of faith. But sometimes we don't necessarily we think that we think that our fervor is faith, or that our um, hope is faith. Hope and faith aren't the same thing. That our wish is faith, and if I just wish harder, that that means I have more faith. No, that's not accurate. Faith is the substance of things unseen, or faith is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. Hebrews talks about. So we have hope. Like, I can hope I win the lottery. Anybody else? I hope I win the lottery. I don't have faith that I'm going to win the lottery. Why? I don't have that assuredness. I don't have that promise. I don't have something where God spoke into the situation and said, you're going to win the lottery, JR. Buy lots of tickets. No, of course not. Hope and faith are not the same thing. Abraham hoped to have a son. But he didn't have faith until God made him a promise. And there's something there that we have to wrestle with about what faith actually is. When we have something from God, I, this is kind of an awkward thing to bring up, and so I'm sorry if I make you awkward. But if you've ever prayed for somebody that's on their deathbed, it's an uncomfortable thing. Because part of you would love to see them healed and their family receive back their loved one. But on the other hand, it's evident that they're not going to make it. What do you do in that situation? What do you do? Now, if God spoke to me and said, yeah, I want, I want to heal this person. I want to raise this person up out of this hospital bed onto more days, then I would have faith for that. I'd be praying for that. There are times where I'm like, maybe it's just their time. Maybe in the design of God, it's their time. God uses pain and God heals pain. There's a tension there. Do you feel it? I feel it. It's tough. We look at the Scripture and we look at the heart of God and we can navigate with balance. We don't want to be self-excusing and we don't want to be self-dependent. When the Bible talks about the word flesh, we often see that word. I think it's really important to remind you, and I, I, I know I've done this many times, but it's not just this flesh. It really has to do with a self-dependence or an ego. So sometimes when you see that word flesh in the New Testament, living according to the flesh, salvation issues surrounding the flesh, it's not just um, the physical action, it's, it's from self, from my ego. I am God. God is not God. And when we, be, we begin to believe that somehow we can manipulate God, we've kind of missed some of the balanced idea of who God is. Okay, that's balance. We want to respond with balance. We want to respond with compassion. I want to read one more 
lengthy passage here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second. Okay. Sometimes my brain and my mouth are overly connected. <clears throat> second Corinthians chapter one, verse three. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. There's purpose. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God is good. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Who is this? A hero of the faith, Paul. Indeed, we'd felt like we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God is the God of all comfort. I think many times we have difficulty realizing that truth, that God has given us a great comfort and that that comfort is also meant to be distributed amongst ourselves. That we are meant to comfort those around us. So when people are agonizing with themselves, when they're wrestling in their soul, when they're fighting things in their mind, we are to have comfort and compassion for them in a deep way. Paul is very emphatic. What a powerful passage. Give us every reason to have faith that God is the one that comforts and that we also are called to comfort. We're called to care about the world around us. We're called to care about the people that are, we're in relationship with. And we need to care about the condition of their heart. When they're hurting, we want to be those that comfort. We have a certain responsibility when it comes to this whole inner being situation. When we look at these terrifying statistics and numbers and look at the world around us and talk about the things we're struggling with, we have to recognize that we have a part to play. We want to respond with compassion. Balance, compassion, compassion for one another. We want to respond in grace. We have to have grace for each other's journey. We have to have grace for one another. Grace for our own circumstances. 
I want to, at the end of this today, I, I want to take some time a little more in depth and pray and kind of do an exercise where we really bring ourselves before God. I just want to warn you about that a little bit because I want you to think about where you need grace. Where do you need grace for yourself? Where do you need grace for somebody that's hurt you? Jesus had grace. God had grace. We are saved by grace because of a great gift that God has given us by nothing that we could do. He had a great compassion and grace upon us. And He calls us to do the same. Again, this is our friend Paul who just was talking about his the God of all comfort, but also his own affliction, even despairing of life itself at times, believing a sentence of death had been given to him. He also tells a story in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I, he, he has this issue and it says, I have a thorn in my flesh. Did Paul literally have a thorn in his flesh, like from walking around Asia? Probably not. Metaphorical of something. And when they use that word flesh, often it does actually mean flesh, but it could, you know, something within the self, within his own ego, him, his own personality. We don't know what Paul's thorn was, but Paul suffered with something. And we don't know what it was, and he pleads with God to take it away from him. God says, nope. Not gonna. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we need grace despite our weaknesses, despite our failures. We can't change the past, but we can have grace for it. So in the ways that we've been wounded or we've wounded other people, we need to have grace. Uh, this just amazing ability to overlook the offense and to let it go. Find healing and forgiveness for the things that have plagued us. We talked about uh, the issue of uh, sexual abuse and the statistics surrounding that. And I didn't make it through my childhood unscathed by some of those effects. And I was visiting with somebody, <clears throat> and uh, I he we were talking. He's like, well. I have a memory. I have a memory of being a seven-year-old boy. <clears throat> and I was standing in front of our wood stove one day. I, I think I've shared this at the men's rally. I don't think I've ever shared this with somebody. And uh, I was terribly guilty. Terrible, terrible guilt. And, I, you know, when you're that age, you don't know how to cope with the things that you've been exposed to. And uh, I remember standing there, and that was my first, I, I struggled my whole life with, certain suicidal ideation and things like that. I had some events when I was a young man and connected to that as well. So this series has been personal for me because it's also part of my journey too. I'm not exempt from those things either. And um, that sense of imperfection and guilt plagued me as a child, and I hid it. And it caused me to start to have that suicidal kind of thinking. I should just be dead. I want relief from this guilt. I want relief from these circumstances. And I was visiting with somebody not very long ago, and he, and he said, if you could go back and talk to that little boy, what would you tell him? And all I felt was grace for that little boy. If I could put my arm around that little boy who was suffering and struggling with himself, I'd be like, man... God has so much grace for you. There's forgiveness for you. There's healing for you. There's compassion. And I just, 
my heart welled up with compassion for that little seven-year-old boy who couldn't have it for himself. We have to respond with grace. When we look at our own lives and the things that have happened to us or the things we've done ourselves or the things that other people have done to us, we have to look back and, and have grace for ourselves and the people around us. Not forgiving is like drinking poison. Remember? We talked about this in the past. Not Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And really all you're doing is poisoning yourself. And so when, when, we, when we're wrestling with our, ourselves and, and our, our soul, our depression, our anxiety, our pains, our, our mental illnesses, all those kind of things, we have to have grace for ourselves. We have to let go of our offenses and forgive. It might be us, it might be somebody else. First Peter chapter 4, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We're dealing with the repercussion of sin in our corrupted nature and the pain we uh, have because of it. We've got to react in love. We've got to react in love. It covers over so many things. God is a great grace for us. Just like he's the God of comfort and the God of grace, he's called us to then extend that to each other. We have to respond in prayer. Balance, comfort, grace. I'm sorry, balance, compassion, grace, and prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is you communicating with God. We believe that he exists. We believe he hears our prayer. That, that promise of the scripture causes us to have faith. And then when we speak, we know he hears. We pray in faith because we believe that he hears. Prayer is powerful. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Expose myself, really? Talk about my weakness with other people? That's painful. And pray for one another. Community, community, community. Which will be our last one. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So while on one hand we want to do logical things to make ourselves healthy in our natural realm, we also, do, we also take action in the Spirit. We pray. We bring our lives before God with all sorts of requests. The scripture is full of encouragement. Bring all your requests before God. Your whole life, everything that's going on, constantly in prayer. Prayer isn't just reciting specific lines. It's dialogue with God on an ongoing basis. When we have faith, it should prompt us to this kind of action. If we believe in the God of all comfort, if we believe in this God of grace, then we should be talking to him all the time. Because his spirit is right there with us and in us. He's right there to hear all of that. And he wants to hear from you. Lastly, community. We need to respond in community. We need to respond in relationship. If we're wounded by relationship and wounded because of relationships, then through our relationships, we're going to be healed. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationships with one another. There's going to be healing that comes when we face those things within the community and deal with them. Bear one another's burdens. 
Bear one another's burdens. Carry the other person's weight. Grab that backpack with them. Jump on their invisible fire, as Daniel shared with us. With them. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What did Christ do? He grabbed the burden of sin off your back and took it to the cross. He carried it for you. And likewise, we then bear one another's burdens, fulfilling who He is. Demonstrating who He is. We are called to build community, and this is one of the big reasons why. Part of our mission, building this community, is that we would have the opportunity to bear one another's burdens, to walk with each other through our difficulties and struggles and what we're fighting. It's got to be safe. I talk, we talk about safety. It's got to be a safe place. And some people like to push the buttons and say, well, Jesus wasn't very safe. I would argue he was quite safe. And he's quite safe now for you to go to and talk to. And what I mean by that is not a lack of risk, not that kind of safety, but that your life can be entrusted to him. And likewise, we need to build trust with each other that we can speak with one another about confessing our sin. That out of that relationship, we have the opportunity to expose what's inside of us and what we're dealing with, whether it's sin or whether it's something like uh, uh, some soul issue like deep sadness or depression or whatever we're struggling with, a wound of our past. That only happens in trusting relationships. That's why building community is so important. Jesus said, I will build my church. What's the church? It's the congregation. It's the people. It's the community. He's building it. And we're building it with him. We're a part of it. So it's not that we go around airing out our dirty laundry to anybody that will listen. We, go, we build trust. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice to build that kind of community. Chris, would you come up here and be my minstrel this morning? We want to live in the light. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. One thing, you know, if you, if you ever visit with a professional counselor, one of the things that I've observed is that a lot of the principles are biblical principles. <laughs> it's actually just talking, bringing something into the light and dealing with it, acknowledging it forgiving that it was some reality that we dealt with and it gets healed that way it's amazing how that works who would have thought biblical principles work we confess our sin one another why we might be healed would you bow your heads please I don't often do things like this so I'm just asking you to humor me a little bit today I've God's put it on my heart to give us all the opportunity to come before God with something. Maybe you don't identify with anything that's been said in the last four weeks, but chances are you probably have. There's something. Maybe there's maybe you have a seven-year-old little boy story. Maybe, maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been betrayed. damage to yourself 
There's all kinds of ways that we hurt and we've hurt others. And God wants to heal those things. He wants to touch those deep places of who we are. He's the old hymn. He's the lover of our soul. He cares about the whole of God is bringing something to your mind that that he wants to heal in you, in your soul, in your mind, in your emotions, in your will. Just hold that out before him. You can do it in reality. Just do it invisibly. But acknowledge whatever that is. God, I just hold that moment when I was a little boy out to you. God, heal me of that pain. It changed my life. It affected me for so many years. God, I just acknowledge that happened. I'm angry about it in some ways, and I'm sad about it in some ways. But I know that your grace is sufficient for me. That your love is deep and wide, and it covers over a multitude of sins, just like our love does for one another. Father, I hold that hurting part of me out to you right now. We don't get through life unwounded. So, Father, I hold that out to you this morning. I'm praying that you will love on me. Forgive me, heal me, forgive, help me forgive whoever I need to forgive. Those that have betrayed me, those that have hurt me, those that have spoken badly, those that have abused whatever it is. Give it up to God this morning. Let His Spirit work in you to heal you. And talk with somebody about it. Later today or later this week, make a commitment to talk to a close friend. I feel like God is healing me. I mean, I said this phrase a few weeks ago. Some of you are bleeding from some internally from something that happened 40 years ago. As long as we don't take care of it, it will continue to bleed. It doesn't just close up and go away. God wants to touch those places to bring healing to us. That we also could then in turn pay it forward and comfort those in need and those that hurt. But Father, we, we praise you that we didn't deserve any of this and yet you gave it to us. You comfort us when we didn't deserve it. You forgive us when we didn't deserve it. You give us eternal life in a place without tears, without sickness and pain someday. Something we could never earn. But Lord, we heard the promise from your scripture. We hear it and we believe it. And we're glad about it. Lord, I pray your comfort would move amongst us in power today. would like to receive prayer we're gonna have a prayer team up here as we do every week you guys don't take lightly what what we've done here this morning if you really did that you know if you really reflected on some of your things then then continue to do that and visit with somebody about you guys have a great week thanks for being here this morning